Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, a conversation about the significance of place, eliminating economic isolation, and the structure of belonging. My name is April Doner, and I'm the content curator of Abundant Community and steward with the Acid-Based Community Development Institute. For this week's episode, we'll hear the Abundant Community conversation between Peter Block, Tom Kent, Courtney Napier, Greg Gerald, and Darren Peterson. Now retired, Tom Kent was the executive director of Elements for 12 years. Elements is Cincinnati's premier hip-hop cultural arts center. It was created to give voice to young people in the urban core and is committed to the preservation, protection, and promotion of hip-hop as an art, culture, and a global creative force. We jump in after the conversation's already started with Greg posing a question to Tom. One of the things that I hear you saying that's coming together at this moment is that the work you did there in Over the Rhine with those young people created what at Common Good we talk about structures of belonging. So you gave them a, a context to give meaning to their belonging to one another and to encourage that. And now um, what you're describing with funders also was a way of kind of spreading that community out and inviting some other people to witness that belonging and even to participate in, in it themselves. I want to hear you talk about how you did that. What were the key elements in creating that structure where people could belong? In addition to Peter, who at the time, I believe, was our board president, and Peter was our longest serving board president, whispering in my ear constantly and to the board, as he say over and over, the kids who come in here are not here to be fixed. And uh, Peter, you said that about a thousand times. I've never forgotten it. I was also listening to others who were talking about the approach of appreciative inquiry. So that led us to get to a point where when the kids came in the door, and I think this is relevant to your point, Greg, we would not ask them, what's wrong and how can we help you? We asked them, what's working well for you and how can we help you do more? And whether it was in our board meetings or in our staff meetings or our meetings with the kids who were working on their art, whether it's rapping, dance, music production, or visual art, it was always this is working well, let's, let's, let's bring in the skill sets we need and let's help you do more of it, help you do it well. And to the last day I was there, that was always the most important thing for me is what do you do well and how can we help you do more of it? And I think that's the core of building the community that you're talking about. And the fact that it was a safe place where you weren't judged, except on your art form, where exactly where you wanted to be judged. I'm so, so intrigued by this conversation from start to finish. There are a couple of reasons why, but one is I'm not sure if you are familiar with racial identity development, but in less than, you know, 140 characters, the beginning of racial identity development is encounter and the desired end is autonomy. And I feel like I'm hearing a lot about you experiencing an autonomy as a white male, you've differentiated yourself in understanding that the, the, the white male funders and, and different parts of the community had a really hard time understanding why these children mattered, why their culture mattered, and what their future was. And you found a way to break outside of that, that group think, to really embody a sense of care for these young people that do not look like you, that do not have the same experience as you, and yet you are able to connect with them empathetically, 
as a lover of music and as a lover of Cincinnati, which I think is so beautiful. But I think the other side that I think is really compelling is that you gave that gift to the children that you welcomed into the space. Courtney's is so powerful and it's all context and narrative. And we chose to see these young men and women as young men and women. We never asked them, where are you sleeping tonight? We never asked them any questions about what they did before they came in the house. We just asked them, what did you love to do? And uh, one of the questions Tom invented, or I didn't know it till Tom said it, was he would ask them, how many adults in your life really care about your well-being? Simple question. Let me jump in there because you sparked a memory. Almost all the kids said one or two. It was almost never a parent, sometimes not never a teacher. But I tell the story about the young man who came in and was the only one that said none. And after he'd been with us for two years, I asked that question again, and he could name easily over 50 people that he had connected to and could answer that question in a different way other than none. Now, he was an outlier, of course, but the reason we asked that question of how many people are, how many adults are in your life is we felt that while we couldn't figure out where they were going to sleep at night and we could not obtain meals for them and we couldn't solve the problem with the schools they were attending, we could probably have an effect on the number of adults they were connected to. And we were absolutely convinced that connections would make a difference in their life. And it wasn't professionals taking care of them. It was adults. The other thing that Tom constructed was that Abdullah Powell, the two of them kind of ran it. Abdullah was the creative director. Tom was the executive director. All the other teachers were graduates of Elements. They were kids that came right through the world that they were trying to help. And they would stay for years. And and the idea was, okay, 14, 16 to 24, then you got to get out of here. Well, they come at 24. They said, I don't want to get out of here. And so the the teaching was of the people that were being taught so that you couldn't even tell the difference. These things are big deals. So it's really a learning place that thrives on commitment and and, uh, acceptance of gifts and is indifferent to degrees, certifications, diplomas. This will get you. So there's no promise made. This is going to get you anywhere. It just gave a safe place. And then it it wasn't long, a few years, and we were doing performances in the community, all right? Maybe 200. Once it got going, and Tom and others were talking to schools, because the schools have abandoned the arts programs, all right? It's all STEM, science, technology. And I would say, how many, how many performances were doing this year? Tom would say, I think we're up to 190. And I'm talking, oh, my God. And some were paid, some weren't. But I think... All of these are kind of tactical elements, strategic things, what kind of people, what kind of leadership, what kind of exposure. At this point in the conversation, the tone shifts. This poem by Jan Richardson will provide a frame to understand where it goes. It's entitled, A Blessing Called Sanctuary. You hardly knew how hungry you were to be gathered in to receive the welcome that invited you to enter entirely. Nothing of you found foreign or strange, 
nothing of your life that you were asked to leave behind or to carry in silence or in shame. Tentative steps became settling in, leaning into the blessing that enfolded you, taking your place in the circle that stunned you with his unimagined grace. You began to breathe again, to move without fear, to speak with abandon the words you carried in your bones that echoed your being. You learned to sing, but the deal with this blessing is that it will not leave you alone, will not let you linger in safety or in stasis. The time will come when this blessing will ask you to leave, not because it is tired of you, but because it desires for you to become the sanctuary that you have found, to speak your word into the world, to tell what you have heard with your own ears, seen with your own eyes, known in your own heart, that you are beloved, precious child of God, beautiful to behold, and you are welcome and more than welcome here. As we return to the conversation, notice how Peter and Tom have become the recipients of sanctuary, safety, and acceptance. This is Darren getting us back into the flow. Element has this driving value to give respect. And one of the things that Peter and you have talked about is is that you would ask the question, what do you love? How does respect in asking the question, what you love, translate into a grant form? The kind of funding that I didn't want was charitable funding, if that's a polite way to say it. We feel sorry for you, so we're going to help you out. It's driven partly by funders who don't know how to help, but it's also partly driven by groups of people who have figured out how to drive that story is you need to pay me because you feel sorry for me. That is not respective, probably to your point, Darren. What I tried to do in the funding community was to change that conversation and ask the funders, what is important to you about this community and what is driving you as you show up with your money and what kind of change do you want to see? What do you want Cincinnati to become when you use this money wisely? It's a different kind of question. And it's not a question that says you need to feel sorry for me. That's why we need your money. So when I asked that question, What Cincinnati wanted, and this is where elements really began to take off financially, is they wanted kids who were educated, who could cope, who could get jobs, who can contribute to society and help create the magic of what Cincinnati is in the same way the Bengals are doing this weekend. And they were willing to pay for that. So that was how we changed the paradigm on how you raise money for a small hip hop based organization, producing music that no one even appreciated. Uh, Because we changed the conversation. What do you want Cincinnati to be? And the second thing we did is we tried to get in front of Cincinnati. And rather than putting ourselves in the position of saying, you need to help us, we ask ourselves, how can we help you? The reversal is what of the story from what can you do for me to a story that says, what can I do for you is really the essence of what respect means. You respect me because I respect you back. Beautiful. That's so powerful. And, and people love that they were good. The happiest moments I had is when I would ask my friends, will you come to a rehearsal? And then once they get in the room and feel the electricity of these dancers or these singers working with each other, I, I didn't know that I could ever go in a place like that and feel respected. 
in value. I was stunned by it. When I went and saw those rehearsals with these urban kids and felt accepted by them, I didn't know that would ever happen. I always felt like they had a distance. They were strangers, you know, and we became friends. And the rehearsal to me was a, a glue for that. It wasn't board meetings. That was powerful. I'm really interested to know how Cincinnati's Black community reacted to elements. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, I have my own, (laughs) there's my own internal dialogue about how that went over 20 years. But I would, I'm really interested because I know that a lot of the work you're doing is putting a spotlight on some really challenging aspects of urban life. I mean, it's not for lack of desire that adults aren't supportive of of young people. There's a lot of different elements and things happening within that economy, within those communities, within that heritage of spaces like inner city and urban Black spaces that make things like that very, very difficult. But then to have the added piece of having that a little bit exposed, especially exposed by white folks, essentially. What was that like? How did you all interact? What was the reaction and the exchange around elements with Cincinnati's Black community? Well, that's a good question. It's been the big, biggest privilege of my life to be accepted by the Black community and not be Black. But it's not about me, but I have to say that because it, I, I even tear up now about it. As the only white person in that community, it, as Peter said, to be accepted It's the reverse of what everybody else wants, to be accepted just for who you are, not for the color of your skin. You see that on the other side. Now, to answer your question, there are multiple communities that we worked in, particularly in the the Black community. So our own neighborhood over the Rhine in the West End, two two prominent Black communities in Cincinnati, that's a different feeling than trying to work with the movers and makers at the corporate level, some, some of whom were also Black. But in our neighborhood, it was very, very important to us all the time to understand our roots. Originally, we were a street organization, so we were incredibly well connected with people who lived in the street culture. In fact, that was most of our students. And then we reached out, and uh, particularly in our third location now, which is near Findlay Market, we were in a real neighborhood with real people, and we actually worked directly with the people there in trying to improve the community and, and make it safer. I can't tell you how many times we've been shot at. We've had guns go through our windows, bullets. And yet we go down the street and we connect. And it turns out, of course, you know this, the neighbors don't like that either. And I'm talking about the black neighbors. You know, the community is there. They're they're not in favor of any of that. So we, we all work together to figure out how to be neighbors and make the neighborhood work. Eventually, everybody here is probably here because they're interested in neighborhoods and the abundance of good that can happen when we recognize the values that exist within the neighborhood. But then the other Black communities, the ones that run corporations, the ones who have lots of money. We approached them, of course, and they were incredibly supportive. Honestly, it was an easy sell because they understood hip-hop for the most part, unless they were really older, and they understood what we were trying to do. It was not nearly so difficult working with them as it would be to try to interpret for the white population who are made up the majority of the funders. Personally, I treasure all of the connections from the corporate leaders down to the lady who lives next door to us, who tells me every time the shot runs out that she runs to the back of her and hides under her bed. because She's on a first floor apartment with a huge pane glass window in front. 
every one of them has left a place in my heart. And I can walk down the street today and they still call me, they call me Mr. Elements if they don't know my name. If they do, it's Mr. Tom. I walked into a restaurant and the guy behind the counter who was dishing out the food, as soon as I walked in the door, he said, hi, Tom. And he had his mask on, so I couldn't see who it was. And then he pulled it down so I could see one of our members. You know, that's what I take away. This is the gift I have is hi, Tom. That's what they, that's what they do. The corporate leaders and the guy on the street, even the guy selling drugs. Now I'll tell you a story about drug dealers. At our current location, where we are on uh, near Finley Market, is also a big drug trade area. But the city closed down uh, the park near Finley Market, Finley Park. And when they did, all of the drug dealing came down to right outside our door. And guys would hang out in front of our building every single day. I actually never saw them do anything, but everybody else tells me they were there dealing drugs. I just assumed they were. So one night, one of our staff members left late at night and the door did not close behind it. So at home, I got an alarm saying the door was open and ajar. And I called him and he said, no, I looked, it was closed. So I assumed the alarm was off, not working. When I came in the next morning, our door was standing clearly ajar and had been ajar all night. So inside our building is stuff we can't afford to lose. A lot of expensive recording equipment, speakers, lights, cameras, PCs, Macs. Not a single thing was stolen. And a guy comes up to me on the street, one of the guys that stands outside all day long. He says, I just want to let you know that I've been watching your building all night. And I noticed your door was left ajar. And when somebody approached it, I would tell them, you know, you can't go in there. They've got cameras. And he protected us all night long. One thing I've learned as we've had gun violence around our building is although we don't like the drug deals and the gunfire, which generally is caused by outsiders uh, who are coming in to enforce uh, some of their rules, the drug dealers themselves, the local guys, they're the ones who are making sure that we're safe. And they're the reason I can walk down the street every single day in front of them. And I never have to fear because they know who we are and they are protecting us. That's what community means. Stories you're telling, Tom, are just beautiful, you know, but it so goes against the conventional story that there's something wrong with these kids. They should be in school and they should pull up their pants and don't wear long sleeve white T-shirts and they get job trained and straighten your damn hat. And there's a hundred million dollars in Cincinnati spent on trying to fix these kids. And to really buy elements and says there's nothing wrong with them. <laughs> They're just kids. It's complicated. It is the dark side of philanthropy. It's the dark side of love, care, compassion, social service. And nobody's to blame, but it's just an amazing story of what's possible. It's still working. It does work, but I don't, I don't know why. It's not everywhere. Even as we're talking together and listening to what you're saying, I'm realizing, and I want to make this point, that the work you all are doing and, and the things you care deeply about, and, and as you explain the groups that you're part of, you know, what you're seeing, what you're seeing in this discussion at Elements, what I hope you're seeing is this is not about me. I know you're talking about me and, and asking questions about me, and maybe that's unavoidable, but what, what we're actually seeing is proof that the ideas you have actually work. These are not my ideas. They're the things you care about too. And I know you're talking about them among yourselves and in the groups you're in. Abundant community, common good, looking for values that we have and raising them up. Elements is just an example that should give you hope and courage 
that you're on the right track. The fact that we all wish we could move faster and more aggressively is common, I'm sure, and probably was true of every generation in the past. We're all trying to get this done and elements to my mind in this discussion is just to give you the rest of your encouragement that it, your ideas do work. And you're right to raise up individuals, find the assets in the community and help develop those assets and help them stand up tall when you can. At the best, we can only work a walk away and say, let's just keep doing this because we know we're on the right track. It just occurred to me that if you can't find a place that's a sanctuary, then you're doomed to have to create it. And I think the creation of elements, the commitment to elements, was also a longing for me to feel a safe place uh, just in the world I inhabit and uh, not be the stranger, the outsider. The culture there rewards that. You know, it is a welcoming place and, and you just feel it. And so all of us, I think, in the larger common good, we're trying to have to create a place, damn it, that I couldn't find. And there's great freedom in that. What? Well, I have a poem. And it's important to me, I've said several times, and it seems inevitable that, you know, everybody wants to talk about me. And I've, been, I've made a career of making sure that doesn't happen. But I want you to hear one of the poems that came out of Elements, because it's really important to me that it's not me speaking. So I want to read this poem to you. It's called Purpose by Mario Miller, somebody I really like a lot. From my standpoint, my essence strolls throughout affinity as it resonates like sounds juggled among symphonies. I turn into tunes, sound waves that wave like a maestro's wand, composing something greater than him or the instrumentalist. Some say it is a coincidence, but this music is more dense than just a sheet of paper. More dense than the heat that rides the Earth's equator. It doesn't start with mediums, it doesn't start with lyrics, it starts with spirit and it ends with it too. From one culture to another, in a space so cluttered with rushing waters of influence passing through our pipes and gutters, finally we all burst, composing something greater than a symphony, but a mind symphony, with music allowing us to come together and dance like the strings of tools we've made to speak our ballads. So let us all strum our chords and curl our fingers palace and let all sound our horns unto every challenge. For we are the composition and every vibration in this piece has its purpose. What is yours? Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes to learn more about Elements, Abundant Community Conversations, the Common Good Collective, and all the voices you heard on this episode. This episode has been hosted by me, April Doner. It's been produced by Joey Taylor, and the music is from Jeff Gorman.